Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. We are at another juncture, another edition of Observations. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. Uh, we are uh, still in a pandemic, uh, in, in somewhere between a partial lockdown, a lockdown, a whatever 20, 30% of retail gets you. Um, reason I'm bringing that up is uh, there, there have not been Comic Cons this this year since since March since the pandemic I think maybe one of the major shows in the comic book world uh, was able to get off that would have been C two E two before Emerald City Comic Con uh, everything got shut down shut down uh, which is obviously beyond the right call come on we uh, had no idea what we were in for and so uh, as far as I know there, there's there's been no comic conventions now. Now, I, I have heard that there may have been, like, secret underground shows, underground conventions. And, man, if you attended one of those, would you contact me? Uh, I, I would love to hear about your secret underground conventions. I swear to you, I have, I have heard of these things. I have heard of them in Los Angeles. I have heard of them in, in the Midwest. But that, that's, that's about, um, you know, that, that's, that's some subterfuge. That's some, uh, you know, secret knock-knock secret password stuff, I guess, because uh, it's not stuff you really heard about. I mean, the, the, if there's a rave in Laurel Canyon, you know, the police are there to shut it down here in Southern California, so you hear about that stuff. But but secret comic cons, like I said, unless unless you've been having one of those, uh, there haven't been any. And, uh, you know, uh, so many people that I speak to, they they miss comic cons. You see it on, on Twitter, you see it on Instagram, you see it on Facebook, all over social media. People miss it. People miss uh, congregating, and it's not just comic book shows. There's uh, I, fo- I follow a fair amount of Star Trek enthusiasts, and you know there's that big Star Trek show in Las Vegas, and they didn't have that. And you know I'm sure there's, I mean look the 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 electronics, uh, the big electronic shows, the car shows. I mean nobody had shows this year. Javits Center uh, for a while, which which throws you know the New York Comic Con, and uh, and so many other like auto shows and stuff like that. I mean it it's been empty all year. It, it was it was turned into a it was turned into a, a makeshift hospital in, in in the in the you know March April in the heat of of this this pandemic. So you know for the most part there's no there's no big shows these these shows that have hundreds of thousands of people attending. They're not they're not happening, and they've been shut down. And uh, for the most part, uh, the, I have seen some guys do small intimate signings. I am one of those guys who's done two of those so far. Very, very, uh, social distance conscious, conscience, um, masks. And, uh, one of them, I was practically in like a separate office, doctor's office with a sliding window. It actually couldn't have worked out better in regards to like being as socially distant as you could possibly imagine. But comic cons, they are, uh, for now a thing of our past. Not, not, I I don't know when they're going to happen again. I got to be honest, I would put my money against uh, San Diego 2021, which would put two full cycles without a San Diego Comic-Con, which which for me is my my favorite comic convention of all space and time. And, I, and you know what? It's funny. There, there, there is definitely a rivalry between the uh, the New York guys and, and, and San Diego. Look, San Diego, uh, I, I, even though New York... And I love you guys in New York. And now I'm going to put this, you know, out there publicly. But New York Comic Con made it clear about 
about five years ago, they would grab a, a, a grandma off the street and shove her through the door if it meant getting one more person in San Diego so that they could claim, like, we're the biggest. Because uh, the year that they definitely eclipsed it, a couple of the guys, not a couple, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with seven guys from uh, Reed Pop, you know, the New York Comic Con people came up to me because they know I'm a Southern California native. And they were like, uh, hey, life build, life build. We're bigger than that. San Diego. We did it. We're bigger. We're bigger. And, uh, I, you know, a, a lot of those New York accents coming at me. Life build, we're bigger. You, you know we're bigger now. We're bigger. New York Comic Con, we're number one. We're number one. And I was like, okay, okay, awesome. I mean, congratulations. That's a big feat. That's a lot of people. And they deserve it. They definitely, I think, have made it so that they definitely get more people through the turnstiles, I'm not sure. You know, it's so weird. Are they counting the people out in the in the in the in the you know, like the, the the gathering areas beyond the gates? I don't know. But but I think it doesn't feel bigger than San Diego to me. But I'm going to take them at their word. I do not contest one bit that they get more people through. Uh, San Diego. I mean, I, you know, I, I I went there when it was in the old uh, convention center, and uh, you know, I went when I was 13. 12, 12 with my dad, 1982. I, I, I've gone through that story. I showed him the ad in the comics buyer's guide. I said, dad, if I save up my money, you know, could you take me? I'd never seen so many names under one roof. And we took the train down. We made a weekend out of it. And again, my dad was just like, my, my kid is crazy. He's crazy about comics. I'm just going to go kind of chaperone him. And I mean, like I said, I was 12. Uh, I would have been 13, you know, that, that October, but, uh, he was, uh, you know, he, he, he knew that that was my passion. That was my love. And so he accompanied me. It's a, just an awesome memory I have of my dad and I, and just having you know steak dinners afterwards, and and then and then going to the hotel, and me looking over the, all the comics, and knowing that I got to go for a little while the next day before we you know caught the train back. But this last year, my wife and I drove down to San Diego the week of Comic Con. I just couldn't I couldn't take it. I couldn't. It was such a beautiful weekend here in. Uh, in Southern California, and I, and, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, we're, we're just going to sit around on our butts um, for the next couple hours. Why don't we, why don't we, you know, get in the car and go down to San Diego and, and see what's going on down there and walk by all the deserted hotels and the gas lamp district. And, and we did just that. We we hopped in the car at 2, two o'clock and we got down there at 3.30 and we, I took her to the very first, um, uh, the, the site of the, the, the San Diego Comic-Con when it was at the first convention center which is now like a community theater or community center, but it's it's it seems so big to me as a kid, and and I have so many great memories there. But it was still it was shocking to walk up to the actual doors and to walk through the you know the 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 outside uh, you know patio area and and uh, courtyard and and just all those great memories. I mean, I I actually was attended there for three years as a as a pro um, before the shift to the new center that you guys attend, uh, the, the, the giant one there on, on the water, right there on the water. And, uh, and, and, and so the first year, the one on the water is, is like, you know, they had three halls, A, B, and C, and we watched them build D, E, F, you know, G and, and, and the infamous hall H where you get all your Hollywood information, where, where all the big movies break and all the big movie stars. And I, I remember I'll get to the point where I, I, I can tell you the year that that broke, the year that that completely shifted. And it was, uh, you know, 2002, Hollywood came a calling and it, and it never looked back. But before then, man, it was weird. But, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. The Comic Cons 
uh, that I attended prior to San Diego, because that wasn't my first, were hotel shows here in Southern California. Uh, you know, when I was 11 and 12, I was able to get dropped off at the Disneyland Hotel because that was the site of so many of the uh, shows that were thrown by an organization called Creation Con. And they always had one or two comic book guests and then like one or two, three, you know, sci-fi, mostly B-movie guests. You didn't get any of your big your big name guys through the doors. Um, it was like, you know, the 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 girl who was Nova in in uh, in 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 Planet of the Apes. Linda, her name escapes me. But but some Star Trek actors, maybe a Battlestar Galactica actor. Although Battlestar Galactica was like maybe on the air at the time. So, I mean, you, you didn't get even Leonard Nimoy at that time. I'm sure there were shows that got him. But here at the Disneyland Hotel, you always got one or two really good. Uh, Marvel Comics or DC Comics guests, Jim Shooter, John Romita Jr., George Perez, Marv Wolfman. Uh, so it was a good time and, and very small halls. I mean, uh, you know, you'd walk around it in, in, in five minutes if you didn't, you know, stop and go through the boxes of comics and look at the posters. And, and an artist alley was maybe five guys with tables, uh, you know, outside of the, of the major guests. And I bought my first page of original art off George Perez. Uh, he had a stack. It was a Justice League page, a splash page with Darkseid uh, stepping down on the steps with the Injustice Gang. It was part of a New Gods, JLA, JSA crossover. And uh, I couldn't believe like the Titans pages were a little out of my reach. But I think for 60 bucks, I took home this cool splash page of, of Darkseid. And I was just so excited that I had an original page of art. And George was so sweet. And Michael Golden was at that uh, convention, and I just remember that the hottest book on the floor was uh, Daredevil 181. Uh, Elektra had just died, and you saw behind the walls, man, the Frank Miller Daredevil run was was blazing hot. Uh, you know that 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 was the book that like wow, you know there was some heat. That this, this is this is like where you saw that comic books um, were jumping in prices due to demand, and 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 I mean Daredevil had been a pretty big seller at that time, but uh, you know. The, the 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 ballroom shows is what I call them. They put them in the hotel ballroom. Uh, those were great. You, you know, you have you have plenty to occupy yourself, and and then you'd wait in line, and you'd you you'd hopefully get a sketch from the artist. I I, I filled my sketchbook. Um, my, my I have sketchbooks with with Dave Cockrum sketches, with Al Milgram sketches, Paul Smith sketches, Dan Jurgens, Bill Sienkiewicz, George Perez. You name it, I got it. Okay, I, I saved up my money. I wanted a, I wanted a sketch. Uh, there's only one I sold that I, I don't even know. I, I, I guess I was, in, I was out of high school and I figured it was time to flip it and get some good money. I had George Perez draw me a cyborg who was my favorite Teen Titans member alongside Wolverine, and uh, it's a great shot. I mean, he nailed it. It was the best convention sketch I ever had, and foolishly I put it up on display at the comic store that I worked at in Tustin for sale. And one day a guy goes, I'll take that. And, you know, I probably paid a hundred bucks for it. And the guy gave me two fifty. and I thought, man, look at me. I'm a, a capitalist. Look at, look at how I, I, uh, how, how much better I did on that. I, I, again, I wish I could go back in time. I wish I, I wish I could get it back. Paul Smith waited in line. He, he was on the X-Men 1983. Now, by this time I was aware of these shows in Los Angeles the Biltmore Comic Con. They were uh, once every month, the first of the month, up at the old Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles. And a guy named Bruce uh, threw those shows. Again, always a, a decent guest. Uh, an Al Milgram, a Chris Claremont, a Paul Smith, a Marv Wolfman, Art Adams. Everybody made it through the doors. Um, it was just great to, again, 
meeting the people who made comics that I loved helped me realize that I could do this. I could do this as a kid. I could, you know, get through high school, hone my craft, get hired, and hopefully, you know, do what I love for a living. Be one of these guys that create stories. Uh, you know, it's funny. I read people reviewing this podcast. I got to be honest. And they're like, Rob Liefeld really likes comics. Like, hello, um, name anybody who's ever known me. It's just weird. I, I do believe that, you know, sometimes you get this, again, this stink on you from uh, guys like, guys I worship, like John Byrne, who labeled myself and the image guys, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, everybody, all of us. He said, we got into comics for money. And I'm like, are you nuts? Like, who gets into comics for money? I mean, I still don't think people get into comics for money. People get into comics because they love comics. It's a it's a grind, you know? Uh, today, I did like 10 layouts. Layouts is the algebra, the math of comic books. And, and then I uh, scanned those in and blew those up. And I did two pages of pencils before I'm sitting down and doing this with you. And I'm going to tell you, man, you take a deep breath and, and you go. And it's, uh, I mean... It's, it's something you got to love. There, there's, there's no way that, that you're doing comic books unless you love it. You're, you're just not. There, there are other ways if, if, if you want to make money, certainly, to do that. But, uh, you know, for me, going and meeting the people who made it made it so much real to me. And uh, you know, that Biltmore Comic Con, I think I've told you guys this, they had James Cameron uh, promoting the Terminator movie right before it came out, the month or two before it came out. And, and man, that... that that amphitheater room or the theater room in the, uh, the Biltmore probably had 50, 60 people in it. And, and James Cameron signaled for all of us to come forward close as we could to the stage. And he had like the, it felt like it was three feet tall, the actual Terminator exoskeleton, you know, underneath Arnold that, that crawled after, uh, Linda Hamilton in the end. And he had it, he had remote control and he showed how he made it move. And this is the one that they shot for the movie. And that kind of intimacy, man, that used to be something that was solely, you know, solely the domain of the little comic convention, the little, the little ballroom show. And, you know, I'll, I'll, obviously I've only ever lived here in Southern California, born and raised, and that's what I know. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure that whether it was in Illinois or Wyoming or wherever they, Montana had a convention, hopefully they put on the best convention they could and you got access the way I got access. And it was that intimate, you know, uh, uh, exchange with, uh, with a director, a writer, you know, an artist, uh, and, and promoting, uh, the, their where, I mean, James Cameron, this was his big shot. You know, this was after Piranha Terminator is his big deal. And he had Schwarzenegger who, who, you know, was a big deal post Conan. So, uh, it was just, again, today's episode, in case you haven't already figured it out, is all about comic cons and, 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 uh, kind of the, my, history with Comic-Cons in, in regards to, I was there as a fan, you know, I, 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 and then, you know, by the time I'm 18 years old, I'm able to attend a convention as a professional by the end of that year. And, and then from that, there's no turning back. Now I see it from the opposite end. But, but since I was 12, six years prior, I, I had these wonderful convention experiences. And, uh, I saw Comic-Con grow to the place where even in the small hall that you know down the street up 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 the way in downtown San Diego in that first first building that they threw the first 10 or so or mo maybe more maybe t maybe a dozen you know they they eventually built across the way to where you know they were using the entire convention center in 1982 they were not they were using using 3 quarters of it and again a Marvel and a DC booth was just a bunch of tables and some posters on on some bulletin boards that they brought behind them and uh you went down the row and you met your 
your row of artists at San Diego from 82 to 83 to 84. I never missed. Once I started going 82, I never missed again. And, uh, you know, you got just the best collection because, again, you got to realize everybody wants to come out to San Diego to vacation. And, uh, you know, John Burnham and, and Dave Cockrum and George Perez and all these guys, Bill Sienkiewicz, they all lived on the East Coast. Now, eventually, some of them made the, the move down here. Frank Miller lived on the East Coast. So the fact that they're, you know, they're, they're guaranteed to come out and be a part of, uh, of, of, of the San Diego scene because that's where everybody congregated. That was the big date on the calendar. Now, obviously, New York, as I've already mentioned, um, you know, has has challenged and become, you know, by, by their measure and by, I guess, everybody's measure, the number one show. And it's a great show. Uh, it, it, it's up there. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. When I go to the New York show, it's my favorite show. When I go to San Diego, it's my favorite show. I don't want to compare them, so I'm not gonna. Um, but physically, the, the size of the hall seems bigger to me in San Diego. It is that maybe it's the higher ceilings. You're going to be like, Rob, there are no higher ceilings. Uh, you know, maybe it's because everything's double decker. Uh, there's, there's like, there's like a basement level, right? In, uh, in the, uh, at, 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 at New York Comic Con, whereas, whereas as, as, as at Comic Con in San Diego, you go upstairs to all the, to all the meeting rooms, the halls, the meeting halls. And then you've got like, even you've got your outside patios and all the action that's going out on there, all the collection stuff. I mean, it's, they're very different. They can't be compared. One is balmy beach weather in a, in the in the ultimate Southern California, you know, city, and and the other is downtown heart of Manhattan. Even though it's right there on, on the bay, uh, you know, it's just completely two different shows. But the thing that unites them is that incredible energy that that getting all those people under one roof. And and again, as as time has grown, I do see more comic book professionals at New York. Than I do at San Diego. I hear time and again that even many of my peers just feel like coming out to San Diego is too expensive for them because they feel like that the industry has moved to the Hollywood and the entertainment portion of things, and and the comic books get lost. And you know, hats off to whoever runs Artist Alley. I know Clyde Nee for years and years, and maybe she still does, but she uh, she was great to me and all my friends and got us good spaces there, especially in the two thousands. Um, and Artist Alley has has considerably you know, has held, has held its own at San Diego in that last spot. I know that there are definitely big, giant corporate, uh, you know, targets on the back that, that, that would rather have that instead of a group of artists. But, but San Diego is true to its roots and, and thus far has, has honored those, those, those roots by, by making way for the artist, the artistic community to, to set up. And, but it's, it's a grind. It's, it's definitely a grind. I remember, you know, one of my friends said, why are you doing this? Uh, back in the mid 2000s, I'm gonna tell you, I felt like uh, it was like in 2005. I saw like the amount of of requests that you got on your sketchbook list was bragging rights. It, it meant you were re relevant, and we're always looking to be relevant. Okay, all of us, every single artist who is doing this class, this 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 craft of comic books is 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 looking to be relevant. And con conventions are a great way to measure your relevance. And, you know, I started, I, I, I really got disciplined in what I could do at a convention. And there were about, I, I would say from 2008 to maybe 2012, 2013, I could do, I could do 60, maybe 60 plus commissions over the course of San Diego, get that list, get those headshots, those busts, um, the, 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 the full figure requests, the double ups, 
And there, it became really common there towards the last couple of years, 2011, 2012, 2013, when I stopped doing it, where my entire Sunday was spent in my hotel room finishing up every, I mean, I would wake up at six o'clock and finish those, those, uh, those, those commissions and, and make sure I was down there at four o'clock to have, for everybody to pick up before the show closed at five. Again, you're going, Rob, well, why are you doing that? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's really interesting. Uh, a couple of buddies of mine turned me on to this, uh, comedy store documentary. And if you haven't seen it, it's great. It, it documents the history of the comedy store in Los Angeles and, uh, Mitzi Shore, who you would know better as, as Pauly Shore, who was huge in the nineties, MTV and all those movies that he made. Uh, that's his mom. And, and she owned the comedy store, which, you know, saw the likes of Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and Jim Carrey and Jay Leno and David Letterman. It's, it's, it's a, it's a murderer's row. Andrew Dice Clay, you know, all these guys come through the door. And it's great to revisit history. I highly recommend it. It's five episodes. Really, really uh, honors uh, just just the, the the rise and and the rise and rise of the stand up comic and and the role that the comedy store played in that. But I'm going to key in on one um, one one thing that Paulie Shore said in in one of the episodes. Um, he's talking about when it all kind of left him the 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 com the the movie the movie fame when when he was no longer getting calls to be a movie star anymore. And he said it made him sad because he, he missed out on, on the happiness that he brought people because he saw when he was that, that period where he burned so hot that, uh, that he was able to bring so much joy and, and put smiles on faces. And look, I think every entertainer is going to tell you that. And comic book people don't, don't kid yourself. We're entertainers. Um, we like to watch, we like, we like you to watch us draw, to do our thing. And we want it. We want you to be happy. And, and you know what? A guy, a couple of years back, he had me draw a member of the Legion of Superheroes, a female member called Dream Girl. Well, Dream Girl in the comic is beautiful. So I'm like, there's no way I'm not giving this guy the most beautiful rendition of Dream Girl. And I did. I knocked myself out. It may have been the most beautiful woman I drew up to that point. And when he picked it up, I saw, oh my gosh, he was so happy. And it's it's really about, you're investing in your, uh, you're investing in their investment in you by by doing sketches, drawing, and and you feel that you feel that competitive edge. I, everyone I've talked to, you feel that competitive edge um, when you're doing sketches and you fill that list and you wanna you wanna make it so that that guy gets that drawing from you and goes over to his five buddies and goes, look at this great drawing I got from Liefeld. Oh my gosh! And then they go, oh, I wish I'd have gotten on Liefeld's list. And then you're like, yeah. And and they're gonna and they come by and go. I'm gonna get you next time. Or can you fit me in? There's no better feeling. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's the applause of a crowd at a game, at a sporting event, or 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 the applause at the comedy store for a great joke, for a great performance. And and that's what uh, you know, Artist Alley meant to me. But I was killing myself. It was to the point where to take all those drawings, I'm I'm bringing my entire family down, and and I'll get to them because they really recaptured my favor for comic conventions. But, you know, I wasn't seeing them. I couldn't spend any time with them because I took too many drawings. I got to draw Deadpool. I got to draw Cable. I got to draw Shatterstar. I got to draw the Hulk, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Jonah Hex. Yeah, I did Jonah Hex for one guy. I loved it. I've actually done two Jonah Hexes. Is that weird? Um, he's, he's a cowboy DC uh, uh, kind of outlaw character for those of you who are like, Whoa, who's Jonah Hex? So anyway, um, but uh, the thing is that you know, comic conventions, San Diego is to me the granddaddy of all. Uh, and it probably always will be just because I love the gas lamp district. I love when you walk out of San Diego 
at seven o'clock at night, it's still, the sun is still high in the air. And that sunset that's going to happen 8.15, 8.30 across the bridge is the most beautiful sunset you're ever going to see. Uh, the gas lamp is buzzing, all those great eateries, you know, so many different places. When my wife and I went down there this year, gas lamp was open and all those restaurants were open. They had outdoor dining. Uh, we, we, we went and ate at one of the hotels that had a great outdoor spot. Um, now all the major hotels were closed. It was weird. It was like a ghost town. My wife and I got those limes, the scooters. We went all around town. We went to the Hyatt. We went to the Marriott. We went to the Hilton and it was just weird seeing them just empty. You know, they were empty and, uh, it was, it was sad yeah, because, you know, because of the time that we're in right now, that, that we were, we, we didn't, we didn't get Comic-Con, right? It's just, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. And we haven't had cons, but so, so I broke in and, uh, started doing shows, started being a guest at shows, got on the, uh, on the circuit with another, uh, 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 group, group of like, they weren't creation con. I can't, I can't remember maybe great American comic-con, maybe that, that was called and started doing a bunch of their dates. Um, but interestingly enough, one way, and, and, and the, one of the reasons I, I associate comic comic conventions with so much happiness is, uh, so you guys, I've, I've, I've shared with you guys that my dad had a terrible bout with, with, with cancer and brain tumors and uh, just, so I, he, he, he uh, they had, my dad had taken a job in Chicago and uh, my senior year, I, I stayed in an apartment with my sister and my parents were cool enough to let me, you know, not, not make me follow them to Illinois where I knew absolutely no one. And I was able to finish my senior year. But when they flew out for my graduation, they uh, met me and said, Rob, you need to come back with us uh, the day after you graduate. And it was like, wait, what are you talking about? My senior summer is gone. What? And uh, there was dead. They were deadly serious. Like your dad's tumors are back and we have a date on the calendar for him to get his operation. It's, it's in two weeks and we need you to be there and help and help with your dad. And look, you know, what are you going to say? It's your dad. You love him. There was no hesitation. I'm an honorable son. Uh, they, they'd obviously done so much great things for me. I was sad. I was leaving my friends my senior summer that I looked forward to. Uh, wasn't going to happen. Not on, not on the way, not the way I intended. Um, so I knew one of the, one of the silver linings is if I'm going to go live in Illinois for the summer and, and they always said, you can come back in the fall and start your life. And look, I, I wasn't going to college. I was going to go, I was going to make it in comics. And it was at that point, already in high school, I was already a pizza delivery guy and a busboy. But when I got back, you know, that's when I started doing construction and, and I started doing uh, bussing tables again and, and delivering pizza and just as many jobs as I could to make, to get by. And so that summer, I'm in Illinois. I know there's a Chicago Comic Con. I've read about it. I've seen ads in the comic books, man. This is the silver lining. And because I'm in this comic book fan club that I've been in for two years since my junior year in high school, I know people are going to be there. And, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, uh, got their phone numbers and said, Hey, can we meet up and can we split a hotel? Cause it was about an hour and a half from where my parents lived that they, they were in Waukegan, which is practically in Wisconsin. Uh, so, so the, driving into the city was about 70, 75 minutes. And, uh, and this wasn't even in the city of Chicago it was in one of the suburbs, but so, so I made the arrangements and we all split a hotel room and I saw the Chicago Comic-Con 1985. I went back in 86. I went back in 87. I just, it became a date on the calendar. Just like, uh, you know, San Diego, because Chicago was the number two show. New York didn't have a show that was competitive on the, on par with San Diego or Chicago. Chicago was the premier, the publishers, again, Marvel and DC. If they're showing up 
in force, you got a big show. They did panels. They had dedicated booths. I, I got to I got to be honest. I thought their 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 setups in Chicago in 1985 were better than their setups in San Diego. Because the one time I was able to go home, I uh, saved enough money that I flew home for San Diego Comic Con in 1985. I stayed with my aunt and uncle, and I did San Diego. And then I and then I my dad was already doing better and, and had made it you know through the worst of it. But got to see my girlfriend, hung out with my friends, did Comic Con, and flew back to finish out the last five weeks in in Illinois. Uh, again, I was dutiful son, man, but I got to fit in, you know, San Diego Comic-Con. I got to go to Comic-Con the summer of 85, just like I got to go to Chicago. And in Chicago, you got a slightly different guest list, different different group of people, um, you know, rounding out the the, the creators. Um, and between San Diego and Chicago, I mean, there was literally nobody I didn't see that year. I mean, like the entire comic book universe aligned between those two shows. And I had ingratiated myself to guys like Mike Zeck and Jerry Ordway and an inker named John Beatty. And they would bring me along uh, at, 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 you know, 17 years old. I was out of high school. I didn't turn 18 until the following fall. Uh, I was always a young graduate, but they, they brought me to the industry parties on both at, at San Diego and in Chicago. And I got to see firsthand all the networking and all the people who got along, all the people who didn't. It's fun what you can observe when you're just sitting in a folded chair watching, you know, everybody intermingle and watching, you know, all of your childhood stars kind of exchange, um, you know, funny stories or grievances. And yeah, I, I won't, I won't, it, I've said this before, a couple of my favorite artists, you haven't lived until you've, you've, you know, you, you get a group, you get a group of artists that you like. Let's say there's 10 artists who, you know, are, are among your favorites. And certainly Jerry Ordway and Mike Zeck were, were those guys for me. I bought everything Mike Zeck ever did. Master of Kung Fu, Secret Wars, Punisher, Captain America, Jerry Ordway, same thing. Watched him develop as an inker, then became a penciler, and then became an inker and a penciler. I mean, and, uh, you know, it was it was exciting. Um, and, and they would ask me who my favorites were, and I would tell them. And, and you haven't lived until one of them goes, oh, come on, that guy can't be your favorite. And that prepared me for, you know, the career that, that, uh, that I would have myself because you realize... You know, and, and you're going to find this out, you know, no one is everybody's number one. And, uh, you know, you find that out in sports, right? You know, is Tom Brady everybody's favorite quarterback? Nope. But he's a lot of people's favorite quarterback. Is, is LeBron James everybody's favorite basketball player? Nope. But he's a lot of people's. Same with Kevin Durant. Same with Kobe. You know, the one thing I'll tell you about about uh, being in the business is um, in the in the run that that the Lakers had my, my favorite sports team of all time. And, and, and I thought nothing could ever beat the magic Kareem, you know, Showtime Lakers, but I fell in love with the Kobe Shaq Lakers and, and just Kobe in, in, in general, he became my favorite basketball player of all time. And so my, my father-in-law was getting these killer tickets. Uh, he was, he was, he was cleaning up in Orange County real estate and, and they were repaying him with all these great sports tickets and he didn't even like basketball. So he would give them to me all the time. And in the 2002 Western Conference Finals game, I was there for game three, game, uh, let's see, no, 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 yeah, game three, game uh, five, and game six. Um, the, 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 it, it, was just, it was just incredible. No, game three and four and game six, that's it, uh, of that year. And game six was really tight, and the Sacramento Kings looked like they were going to beat the Lakers and, and advance the finals that night, but... I was five rows. These tickets were so good. We were five rows behind the Sacramento Kings bench. And why am I wasting your time with this? Because I let the Kings know how much I hated them. 
and I wanted them to die, sports die, sports death, not real death, just die on the court. Like, I want you to lose. And uh, hated him. Told him how much I hated him. Told Chris Weber in particular all game long how much I hated him. I wanted him to miss his free throws, miss his shots. You can't guard this guy, you know, whatever. Chris Weber was a great player. I wouldn't be breaking my voice the way I did if I didn't think... <laughs> I didn't think I was necessary, right? Everybody at the Staples Center, we thought we were necessary that that night. We 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 were yelling at Chris Bibby. I'm sorry, Mike Bibby, and, and Chris. You know, uh, <laughs> we 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 were we were going after everybody. Vlade Weber, and at the end of the game, Chris Weber turned around and he and he kind of stared me down. You know, I'm standing on 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 the fifth rung, and it feels like he's t- still taller than me, and he's clenching his fist. And he shakes his head at me and he starts walking to the tunnel. Well, I'm gonna, I run, you know, I do my civic duty as a sports fan. I run the fifth row up to the railing where they're going in the tunnel. And I'm like, you can't, you, you can't do anything. You lost, you suck. Talking trash. I am talking trash. And he stopped. He stopped dead in his tracks. And he looked up at me and he stared me down and he shook his fist. And he's, his head is going back left to right, left to right. It's like he's thinking about it. Do I jump up there and, and just crush this guy? And he would have. Let's let him, Come on. He's Chris Weber. He's a giant, super mega athlete. And, uh, and then he shook his head. And a couple guys go, come on, come on, come on, Chris. And he left. Well, that's no different than, than, than a fan who doesn't like your work letting you know they don't like your work. And you better get you know used to it. Chris Weber was not going to jump up and punch me because that would have cost him a lot of money and he would have gone to jail, okay? So he, he used his good senses and he exited down the hallway and got ready to, to, to uh, lose to the Lakers in Game 7 in Sacramento where they had the home advantage. But the thing is, so what? So what? Somebody doesn't like your work, who cares? Like, I've had professionals call me up and go, Rob, how do you deal with it? And I'm like, uh, find your nutsack and um, maybe not be a whiny you know, don't, don't be whiny. Cause, cause this is not a good look. Um, you're doing great. Stop listening to the fans are never going to love everything you do, but you haven't lived until two of the guys that you really look up to are telling you that maybe the guy that you think is the best is no good. Oh, Rob, you can't like that guy. And I was like, what are you talking about? And this guy technically probably sold better than they did, but they were like, oh, his fundamentals are bad. And I was like, uh, okay, well, that's not going to change the fact that I still love this guy. And they would, give me no end of crap over the guys that I liked. Um, and, and then if there was one we, we found middle ground on, we, we, we decided to dwell on that more. So, so as a fan, haven't yet broken into the industry, but I'm 17 years old and my buddies, my, my, the, the, these guys who I look up to, who are kind enough to extend to me like, hey, you want to come to the Marvel party tonight? Do you want to come to the DC party? You want to come to the Diamond party? Um, and they make fun of me. I, I fell asleep at one of them and Mike Zek and John Beatty had to wake me up. And like, hey, party's over, uh, big shot, big big California party animal. In one of my sketchbooks, even John Beatty and Mike Zek both wrote to a real uh, Southern California party animal. I mean, I, you know, I was tired. I was young. I was tired. I didn't have the stamina they did. And uh, and so, but again, they, they would give me they would give me crap about the guys who I like the most. And that's weird, you know. But you get used to it. You get used to it. And 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 uh, you know, it. That's the great thing about conventions. You're gonna find. Uh, you're going to find your friends. I mean, you guys, let's, let's, let's get it like away from sports and just my whole life, Star Wars fans and Star Trek fans, they argue with each other. Oh, Star Trek is better. Star Wars is better. And they use box office and then they use logic and they use all oh, that, you know, we don't have wizards and, you know, we, 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 uh, we're based on science and the hope of a, of a peaceful future. It's, it's, it's all interesting, really interesting, but you got two fan bases that don't agree. Okay. So 
at a convention, you're going to come up against all of that. And, and you learn. You learn. And you also learn there's a DC Comics fan that has no time whatsoever for Marvel. And they congregate together. And then you learn that, like, there's a Marvel fan, and, and he is never, ever, ever going to pick up a DC comic book. No way, no how. That's not happening. And you just go, what? How, how does that work? But I have encountered both factions. I've, I've met Teen Titans fans that didn't like the X-Men at all. I met X-Men fans who wouldn't even give the Teen Titans the time of day. It's nuts. But that's fandom. And conventions are where we all congregate. And you're going to go stand in that guy's line and get autographs. And I'm going to stand in this guy's line and get autographs. I'm going to get a sketch from that guy. This guy is your guy. I mean, it's it's just, it's so awesome. And, um, you know, by the time I got to be a professional, it was interesting being on the other end. And you're a little nervous. You're a little nervous the first time you pull up that chair and you're putting out your stuff. Because, you know, you get people to come over and go, oh, hey, uh, yeah, I checked out your work. Uh, you got a long way to grow. Uh, good luck to you. And you're like, oh, thanks. Okay, I'm not sure. Is that is that is that a... Was that a, a positive or, or kind of, how do I take that? But, you know, eventually you just sit there and again, you're a performer. You're hoping that somebody's going to ask you for a drawing or to see your work. And as an artist, you love the feedback. You hope that it's always more positive than negative, but you take what you can get. You figure it out. Um, I've been with guys who got upset that they didn't get the showing that they wanted at, at a show and storm off. I've had guys who have, I've had about three times in my own career, the most uncomfortable instances where somebody has asked to move because um i'm either uh and this is you know i'll tell you what happened on on a big scale is the summer x-force came out x-force comes out it's number one my uncle who i shared an office space with my office space during those years uh, it, you'll you'll see it there's a C, when cnn uh did a piece on image comics um we called everybody up to come to my studio it, the the the, the Southern California station, the, the, the wing of CNN wanted to film something. And I had a big enough studio. My, we had a, I had a studio, an office in Brea. My uncle had the front, like basically office portion. Then you opened it, this giant room and then there was a loft. And I took the giant room that could have like easily, easily sat 10 people in it. And then you go up the stairs to the loft and the loft is where I spent most of my time. But um, again, I was hoping to have Murat on this week. Uh, hopefully we'll connect soon and, and, and you can get firsthand from Mighty Murat, my, my assistant uh, for so many years because he saw all of it firsthand. I, I'd love, I can't wait to hear from him what, what he experienced. But at that office, we staged quote unquote image comics. Mark Silvestri drove up from Malibu. Jim drove up from where he was in Orange County. Eric Larson flew in. Uh, Todd didn't come and Jim didn't come. But we had like, Dan Frago was there and Marat was there and we all looked like we were one big giant comic company working in my big room. And when I mean my big room, it had like like vaulted, like uh, the, the big room was like a second story open room uh, where again, the side stairway took me up to the loft. So, so, I mean, it was a giant room with huge, I mean, two story ceilings, but it was just there wasn't a second story, so it was a giant open room with a bunch of, I already had a bunch of drafting tables and, and drawing tables in there and, and, and couches and chairs. I had a basketball hoop. So, you know, we staged it. If you ever see that CNN clip, that's that's where we filmed it. And that studio to me, oh, I have so many great memories. I mean, that's where Cable and Deadpool were created. That's where X-Force happened. Um, well, my uncle had, you know, noticed we did share a fax machine. Uh, you know, you need to hear me do that. 
fax machines. So uh, he was like, hey, what if I went down? He called me Robbie. Hey, Robbie, what if I went down with you to San Diego, 1991, and I, I help you sell some comics? I want to I see firsthand what this is like. I said, great. Fantastic. Well, I had booked my, um, my uh, table in the middle of what was their kind of, that, that was the first year they were in the new hall. And I was, um, I was set up at Artist Alley about two rows down from, you know, one aisle up from the main aisle. So I was right there in the thick of things. And there were like a thousand people in line. And uh, suddenly I had people with headsets. I have a history. It, thankfully, it ended well. But I, I it, this period was not always great with me in San Diego. But a couple of headset people came and they said, Mr. Liefeld, we have to move you. And I said, what do I do? And they said, well, you're... you're the crowds are causing a commotion. Look, X-Force 1, like I said, sold a ton of copies, millions of copies, was the number one book, and it had a lot of interest. So, you know, I you don't know what you get until you get there, and there was a tremendous amount of, of uh, enthusiasm, but it was the beginning of where are we going to put all these people for everybody because this was never turning back. This is now the future, the long, long lines, the collectors. The, uh, the, um, it, was, it, was, it was the start of something. And again, X-Men didn't come out for a month. Um, so I was really the book of the summer. I was I was the book of the summer. So, you know, there's a giant group of people and they're clogging up the aisle and they say, we're, we're going to move you. And they conferred and I was like, well, I, I have no choice in this matter. So I got up and my uncle was like, what's going on? And I said, here, let's, let's, you know, let's follow them. And they took me in the back uh, of the hall. So in the back be, behind um, where the escalators to the top foyer are, you, if you go all the way back um, and, and you go through the doors behind one of the snack areas in like the A and the B, and the B halls, there's that kind of area. And now you have like people who, they actually have people who are selling wares there, but you got the in, inside, there's escalators that are going up and back. So, so this is all the way in the back of the hall. And they set up a table and they set me there in between the escalators and they said, this is where we're going to handle you. And so I was off the fl floor of the main show and signed all day. And when it was over, we, we left and my uncle goes, is this how it is all the time? Again, he is a complete, what we call, Jim Valentino taught me this. He called people who are into comics, this is so funny, he called them citizens. Oh, he's a citizen. Citizens. You know, citizens don't understand what we do. Citizens. It's so funny. It's an interesting um, co-opting of the word citizen, but this citizen, my uncle was getting firsthand, like, wow, wow. Like, I can't believe the response. I can't believe how, you know, we got moved off the floor. You signed for five hours. This is crazy. And, uh, and, and that, that was my, uh, you know, inaugural year, uh, at the new, at the new place. And, and then the next year is the image year. And that year, it was really interesting. Chicago Comic Con wanted all of us to come to their show. So they met with us. They flew out a representative. His name's Gary. And Moondogs Comics was the sponsor. And he said, we want you guys, how do we get all of you? We want to promote that we are going to be the only show that has all of you out there. Well, as I, I think I've covered in, a, in another uh, episode, Jim Lee was not able to make it. He drew, participated in the poster and, and, and the, um, the program book. But he wasn't able to be there because he was expecting, he and his wife were expecting their first child and it was too close to the due date. So, but we all, the rest of us showed up and they gave us a dedicated circus tent. Like, I mean, you could have thrown a circus and had, uh, you know, uh, elephants and, and, and clowns and, and trapezes. 
and it was outside of the Chicago Comic Con, which again, I've attended now in 85, 87, 88, 90. And we're out in a giant area of the parking lot adjacent to the hotel that they threw the Chicago Comic Con. And if you guys attended the Image Tent, I would love to hear uh, if you had a good time. We had a good time. We had a blast. We uh, signed all day long. Todd showed up. I showed up. Valentino, Eric Larson, Mark Silvestri. Pretty sure Wills made it. Um, and and now that uh, I think Dale Keown came by and said hi, he hadn't kind of pulled the trigger yet on doing that story for me in Youngblood 4. But we got a lot of visitors. A lot of people made them their way out to the tent to talk to us, to visit with us. That's where I met the guys from Valiant. Um, I wanted to leave a day early. I had just closed on a house. Um, I wanted to take care of that. I think I was taking possession of it on like July 4th. So I had committed to in advance time that I would sign for 24 hours. Um, and I don't know that anyone's ever done that. I don't know if anyone had done it before or if anyone's done it since, but man, did I have a good time. I showed up and I think I signed 20 two hours of the 24 hours. And at the end of that 22 hours, uh, it was 4.30 in the morning and uh, five in the morning. And I, I got up and I got in the car and drove to the airport and I flew home. I think I slept most of that day, but I got that house. I got the keys to my new house. And, uh, but, but to, you know, I wanted to make sure that if you were coming on Sunday, you got to see me. So, so I was there Saturday and I was there into the wee hours, uh, or early hours of Sunday. And, and, and I'm telling you, like people, Todd McFarlane came by to visit me. Jim Valentino came by to sit next to me. I had, uh, I mean, I signed for thousands of people after the show closed in that tent, dedicated, um, super fun, great memories, but they, they went all out for us. Now, the reason I'm setting up the Chicago experience is then Chicago followed that year. Chicago, I mean, uh, Chicago was first and San Diego followed Chicago. So in 1992, I'm, I'm, I'm going and, and, uh, image comics is happening. We've got spawns out and two young bud and the promise of all the other books are to come. And, uh, we have our, we have our booth set up and, um, I've got a photo I'll, I'll put in this, in the news and notes on the, on the dedicated website, the podcast site. And you'll see, uh, it's a crazy photo of the people. We were giving away Youngblood posters with Youngblood number three on it. And I'm standing there signing and the, the crowd is getting so out of control. They're moving the tables. They're, they're physically moving our tables back. We're up against right when you enter like hall B or C. And if you were to turn to the right or the left from each either entrance, we were we had enough tables. That's where Image Comics was situated. Well, we were giving away posters, and it's the first time you saw like fan um, uh, this riotous, raucous energy. I mean, they didn't they weren't doing anything wrong. They just wanted the product, and they were getting very uh, uh, elbowing each other out of the way. And I remember I stood up on a chair. To, to, to calm everybody down. And the next thing I know, I got the, the I think they had blue shirts, the San Diego guys with their headsets and they're rushing to get me and they're escorting me out and they're not happy with me. And they tell me that I am never to stand on a, on a, on a chair and put my foot on a table and address the crowd in that manner that is inciting a crowd. And I said, no, 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 I didn't incite the crowd. I'm trying to stop the crowd. But you know, guys, a good story um, you know, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth even sees the light of day. And I said that the story was that Liefeld was inciting 
uh, uh, riotous crowds and nothing could be further from the truth. I was literally trying to tell the crowd to calm down. And if I made a mistake, stand up on the chair and putting one foot on the table and leaning in and saying, Hey, everybody, we're going to, it was basically to tell everybody, we're going to get to you. We have supplies. We can get, we can do this. Um, it, it, it ended in a very hostile exchange with me and Comic-Con and they had a meeting. Uh, I, I heard about this later. I was going to be banned. I was going to be banned from Comic-Con and, and never to return. And, you know, I think that at least a couple of the guys, uh, pleaded on, on behalf, but the old guard hated us. They hated us. They hated us. They hated what we were represented. If you can, this photo will tell the tale. You'll see how many kids are there. I'll tell you what, what, what image comics was attributed with and somewhere between the, all the stuff that we were doing, the Levi's ad that ran in 91. And now this is summer in 92, the birth of image. We had brought kids to comic stores, um, skateboard kids, kids, they called them skater kids. The, the comics were now kind of being, hey, are these cool? Are these collectible? Um, you know, I think they were piggybacking on the heat of the trading card, the sports trading card market. And now even like trading cards, comic book trading cards were getting hot beyond basketball and baseball and football cards. And we brought a younger generation with us. They they came in. these They could get on the ground floor image comics. They didn't have to worry about getting Spider-Man 300 or Captain America 400. They could jump in. And we were a company they could start with. And you'll see in this picture how many young people are in it. And they're all reaching across the table. I don't know who took this picture. I don't know how we got this picture. But I've had this picture for years. It's a snapshot. You'll see. I mean, it is all these arms and these bodies moving forward, reaching across. And I'm looking down, signing. And in it, you'll see image publisher, current day publisher and partner, Eric Stevenson, is standing there next to me. And it was an energy we weren't prepared for. But we would never have incited it. Um, it was dangerous. You get a crowd upset at you and you're pinned against a concrete wall, you know, and, and, and the tables are moving. The table shifted like by a foot. I mean, and the guys who were sitting there stood up like, like startled. It was like an earthquake. So, um, I survived the ban. They, they decided, they informed me, we we're going to let you come, but you're on a short leash. Okay. Well, in 93, we're in New York at one of the creation shows not the crazy goes, one of the great American comic book shows. And we are in the very back of the room. They put image comics in the very back of the room. And what we had was gold logo versions of uh, Youngblood. And our head of sales department that we had just hired, he was a young kid, super, you know, congenial, uh, perfect for sales. Love talking to people, love talking the language. He, uh, he was starting to hand out the gold books to the people in the crowd. And uh, again, we had a swell. Now we get the East Coast version of what happened, you know, last summer, summer of 92. And this was an even bigger, like crush. The tables did move back. Um, it was like, wait, gold books? Free gold books? We made the gold books to give out the gold books as crowd incentives. Um, you can't, like, that's a great, it's a great incentive. It, it was fun. It's us calling the shots. And uh, nowadays, my, my just today, I was talking to a retailer. He's like, "Oh man, we're getting a we're getting a fan thank you edition of the Turtles, the Last Ronin. That's awesome. People love that. We brought gold embossed, gold foil embossed logo, really slick card cardstock cover versions of our comics to give to the fans. But they got a little crazy, and it was the most 
that that uh, literally the entire display almost came crushing down. They they moved like four tables at the same time. Now, we we never held it against the fans. We understand and 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 de definitely we put the we pumped the brakes because we couldn't give out the books in the manner that we were going to give them. Now it was going to have to go to raffle. Um, just um, randomly starting to hand them out to people in line created a crush and it put people in danger. But there was a rival publisher. I, I debated whether I was going to say his name and I've decided not to because who needs that, right? But he was, he was, he's, he's a notorious know-it-all whiner. He worked another and he said... Image Comics is putting everyone in danger. They're putting everyone in danger. I think he wrote a couple columns about it. He was uh, he was really bothered by us, and he tried to say that Image Comics was inciting again same same accusations that we dealt with at San Diego, which were completely accidental. Um, you'll see the photo tells the story. I'm looking down. The crowd is completely coming at us, and we're nonchalant. Um, our sales guy had a, he was just distributing the books that we brought to give to fans. We didn't know that they would be as rapidly received. And we never wanted to put anybody in danger. Maybe somebody got knocked down. I didn't see it. But you would have thought that we had incited a riot and they threw bottles and had torches the way this comic book uh, management slash writer guy took took after us. And once we were in his, his sights, he... He really, he went years and years. I, I He tried to do a personal, couple of personal takedowns of me. And I was like, what are you doing? So, uh, again, so solidly in the old guard category. He met some success when he was older in the business, but he'd worked in management. And, and the old guard hated us. They didn't like what we represented. They didn't like the new crowds we were bringing in because quite frankly, the new crowds had no interest in, um, in the old stuff. They wanted the new stuff. And now maybe other companies after us, and there were a lot that, sp that sprouted up, maybe they targeted those kids and tried to get them to buy just, you know, their new stuff too. Because, uh, you know, but they were there. They were there for the taking. And, and of course they migrated to Marvel and DC if they liked our stuff. If you like the comics, Image Comics didn't have enough comics to sustain itself. By the time Summer 92 comes around, maybe Savage Dragon is out too. We have maybe four comics. Youngblood 1, Youngblood 2, Spawn 1. Dragon One, you know, if you liked our stuff, you probably went and bought our old stuff, and then you looked for more stuff. You know, um, that's just the way it works. Once you once you get into it, you get into it. But so, the convention scene had changed, and and then by the, I'm going to tell you the saddest. When I thought that the convention scene was over, the comics industry went through a rocky period in the late 2000s, and and I'm going to tell you the thing that nobody talks about but I would talk about it with my friends. So the 90s was so crazy. And, and, and the touring and the conventions, we did them hard. We did them fast. I talked in the de in the, in the Valiant Deathmate episode. I we did tour buses. We started touring to, to stores and flying all over the country and promoting ourselves. And we burned out like a band. And, and when I say we, I'd say all the top of the line guys. But by 1998, 1999, Mark Silvestri is not producing anywhere near regular work. Dale Keown is not producing regular work. I am not producing regular work. Campbell is not producing regular work. Todd McFarlane hadn't drawn in six years by then, okay? He had kind of hung it up in 93. Um, really, it'd be easier. The only guy really producing work was Eric Larson, okay? Wills had hung up. Jim Lee had sold DC and went into hiding uh, or, or hibernation for three years. He didn't come back until he did Hush. But 
He wasn't drawn, you know, 99, Casada, anybody who was all the good guys. Imagine if at one point, uh, and I'm sure it's happened at some point, it wasn't planned, but if all the big acts just stopped putting out albums and stopped touring. If in the 70s, Foreigner, Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, uh, you know, Aerosmith, ACDC, you know, they all just hung it up and said, we're not making music anymore. We're burned out. Um, Kiss, all of them just disappeared. For about three years there, the people who had been the, the, the guys who had ignited the interest of fans and had moved all the needles, uh, the big names from Marvel, the big names from Image, they all retired. We were tired. We were literally burned out, burned out beyond belief. Uh, and in 2000, I had a booth. I had a two-table booth in the back of the publisher area uh, at, at, at Comic-Con. And I'm going to tell you, man, I think that may have been the year the air conditioning broke too, but uh, in the in the building. Um, it, honestly, the, the lights seemed at half mast. The, the, it just, the entire show was dark. The future of the comics industry was uncertain. It was the most depressing show I have ever been, summer 2000. The image pavilion, I faced all the different image pavilions and the artists and the public, the little, the, 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 the labels within the labels. Nobody had big lines. It seemed like the interest, it wasn't just the creators who had been burned out. 2000 was the year that everything was on a precipice. It seemed like um, comics could go either way. It's to the point where I went back home uh, with, you know, I remember at night, uh, one Thursday night, uh, the Thursday night of Comic-Con San Diego 2000, Survivor, the first season where Richard Hatch won. It was probably in its fourth or fifth episode. And me and my buddy who'd come down to help me, we went back to the Marriott and we ordered in and watched Survivor because we were hooked on that show and our wives were hooked on that show. Um, and then we went back down the next day and just a different level of excitement. Now you gotta understand Marvel's in bankruptcy in 2000. They haven't come out yet. They haven't come out of bankruptcy. They are in a weird place. DC Comics is in a weird place. Image Comics is in a weird place. You don't have Rob Liefeld. You don't have Jim Lee. They're kind of finding their footing in this new uh, post-Lee Liefeld existence. Um, Todd isn't drawing comics. The only guy making a comic is Eric Larson, okay? Top Cow is kind of, uh, you know, they, they, they mark kind of did the first few issues of the darkness and then basically retired. Like I said, the energy wasn't there. You know, uh, the biggest thing that summer was the X-Men movie, the Brian Singer X-Men movie that, it, that blew everybody away. And, and you got to realize nobody expected a, a big budget adaptation. I mean, at that point, a 65 million adaptation of the number one movie of all time was going to even do respectable business. And it was a genuine hit. Okay. And uh, I, I was on Wolverine, by the way, in case you were wondering, but I, I had just, my first issue of four issues had just shipped. And uh, so I was still making some comics. She's not making a lot of comics. And, uh, you know, the business seemed at, at the most depressing. The crowds seemed light. I felt like it was the only year that San Diego's attendance was markedly down. The crowds, the aisles weren't as, you know, you know, as kicking. I went back uh, in 2002 as a publisher with the new label with my buddy Jimmy um, called Arcade Comics. We had gotten the license to Alias. And I was going to do redo Youngblood with Mark Miller. And the energy seemed to be back. 2000, 2001, those, those, were, those were slight years. But 2002, man, the energy's back. It's crack-a-lacking again. And it seemed like the industry had course-corrected. Fans were coming back. 
I can't even begin to describe to you what was going on in 2000. But what I never hear people talk is that the actual people that energized had stood down. Like, and I've told my friends, like, everyone's burned out. The 90s, we did it hard. We did it fast. I did it drug-free, okay? I can't say the same thing about everybody. I think people partied hard. They enjoyed their success. The conventions were raucous. I mean, there was stuff going on in those tour buses that maybe I'll never write about. But, uh, you know, there were people who um, partied like crazy. And, 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 and the 2000s, the end of the 90s, early 2000s was when bar cons really swelled. And you could go down to the Hyatt and you could have, you know, 100 people out in the lobby, 200 people. The, the, the best and brightest of comic books. That's where I met Brian Hitch. Um, you know, that's where I... I, I, I talked to Grant Morrison. The guard was changing. The guard was definitely changing. Mark Miller, all these guys in Chicago. I, 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 I hung out with Mark. Um, the business was getting, it, it was finding its way back from, I think, a, a general malaise and, 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 and tiredness of running as hard and as fast as the 90s did. But bar cons were fun. And uh, one year, uh, for, for many years, the top of the Hyatt, there was a bar. And that's where BarCon was the most fun before it went to the lobby. And I remember I, I met lifelong friends. And this is the thing about conventions. You're going to make friendships. You're going to make relationships with shows. That guy in line with you who has a portfolio, you're going to bond with him. You're going to become buddies. You're going to find people with similar passions. You're going to get their phone numbers. You're going to get the email addresses. You're going to connect. You're going to get their social media. And that's what conventions are all about. That's the fun of them. That's why we miss them so bad. But at the top of the high end in 2004, you know, that summer, uh, uh, there was all this stuff about that Kobe Bryant was going to be charged for rape in Colorado. And it was during the show. Uh, it was after hours and they had their news conference and it was carried all the TVs up at the top of the Hyatt bar. And you guys who were there, you know what I'm talking about. I met two of my good buddies up there who I, I did not know prior to that. I was with Marat and I met my buddies and, uh, and, 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 and cause they saw me glued. I did not know this guy. Well, Matt, said to me, you you a Laker fan? You a Kobe Bryant fan? I said, yeah. And they said, hey, me and Peter, we work for FX. They work for, you know, the, the station FF. And my buddy flipped out, Marat flipped out, because I think Nip Tuck was his favorite show. And he's like, oh, you guys do Nip Tuck. And uh, there was no looking back. Uh, I became really good friends with uh, Matt and Pete and and Peter, and, and and there was no looking back. And and it was all over us huddled at the top of the Hyatt in the bar watching Kobe Bryant get charged uh for all those crazy crimes in Colorado, the live press conference. And it was like, made friends for life. We, 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 at that, that, that moment, comic books, Kobe and the Lakers, NBA bonded us and there's no looking back. And uh, that group of guys has expanded. We have an annual dinner that I never miss. Um, we even thought about maybe staging a mock version of it, but uh, the, the voices, the decisions were, uh, that, that we don't want to diminish it. it only, the, the, the dinners, the specialness of the dinners are because they happen at, at Comic-Cons. You know, I met Jeff Loeb at a Comic-Con, WonderCon. Came up to me. I've, talk, I've covered this in the Heroes Reborn episodes. And he introduced himself. He was writing Cable and X-Force. He wanted to meet the guy that created Cable and X-Force. And that's where I met Jeff Loeb. That's where we talked. That's where we shared ideas. I ended up hiring him to be my scripter on Captain America. So, uh, and, and I'm going to close out with, uh, I was at a, comic store and I was in looking at the new comics in uh in in 2003 and lo and behold there's this comic book called Invincible that had caught my eye 
I just didn't understand where Corey Walker and Robert Kirkman came from. Where were these two guys who were so good at what they did, writing and drawing? They came out of nowhere. Invincible immediately became my favorite comic book of all space and time. I thought, wow, this, this thing is executed at the highest possible level. Characterization, great art, great pacing, great cliffhangers. So I go to Chicago Comic Con that year, and I've got my Youngblood Bloodsport, and we're self-distributing uh, it. Myself and Jimmy, we sold it directly to retailers. We didn't have distribution. We literally sold it to comic stores. It was fun. So we had a big splash, big setup at Chicago, Wizard World Chicago, and uh, lo and behold, a guy named Robert Kirkman is uh, is coming down, you know, the table. He introduces himself. I can't believe this is Robert Kirkman. I'm meeting the guy who I can't, this is, social media doesn't exist. I don't know what he looks like. There, there's no place, you know, I, I don't think MySpace was happening yet. I, I didn't go on and know. I didn't know who Robert Kirkman was. I just knew his name in a comic book. And he introduces himself. He's got his beard. He looks exactly like he looks now. He's he's thinner now. Um, and, and, and you know, but he was a lot younger. And, and you know you were younger. Um, we, we were both a lot younger. And he introduces himself. He tells me what a big fan he is, how much he loved Bloodsport. I don't remember being separated from him after that. He went back to my hotel. He talks about how I didn't shut the door. I kept the door open while I peed. I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, uncouth man. Uh, he sat in my, you know, I was at the Marriott Suites. He sat in the couch. My buddy Jimmy J was there. We talked comics. Well, then I was going to go see SWAT because uh, I grew up. My favorite TV show was SWAT. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, Steve Forrest, all of them. That, that, now, I watch the CBS SWAT. I, I never miss it. I love that they all have the same names. Deke, you know. Oh my gosh. Uh, just, just Street. That was my favorite show. It was my absolute favorite show as a kid. Only lasted two seasons. Killed me. Killed me. But, uh, SWAT was coming out uh, with Jeremy Renner and, uh, you know, uh, oh man, I, he, Jeremy Renner was, was the foil, but you know, L cool J and it was by the guy who did fast and the furious that the producer and, uh, oh, come on. The leading guy is so great. I, I, he was in the season two, a true detective. Ah, and he's playing penguin right now. Anyway, you'll know his name, even though I can't grab him right now, but we were going to go see SWAT at the local theater uh, in, 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 in town where the show was being, the convention was being thrown. Robert comes with us. We go see SWAT. We loved it. We, we then go home. We talk all about SWAT. Comic books, the movies. Next day, I go over to see Robert at his table. We sit. We talk about Invincible. And he says to me, my new book is about zombies. I'm like, I, I'm not into zombies. I had never seen a zombie anything. I had never seen a zombie movie. I had never seen a zombie TV thong. And he goes, you should try this. You should try my comic, Walking Dead. And it is because of Robert Kirkman that I have learned to love zombies. I'd always seen the ads for Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead. But after talking to Robert, went up, fired up my DVDs, bought some DVDs. That's what I mean. Went and purchased them, bought them. Was like, wow, the zombie genre is awesome. And The Walking Dead is the best of the best, in my opinion. Okay, the comic book. I love the TV show too, but the comic book is the best. The, 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 buy every issue, buy all the volumes, all the collections, um, that, you know, they're still available, that, that they are the best, purest form of what Robert does. But yeah, I made a lifelong friend, Robert and I, Chicago, if it's 2004, it's 2004, but I'm pretty sure it's 2003, but we'll see. Um, and, uh, the bottom line is you make friends that you carry with you the rest of your life at conventions. And I know there's new friends for all of us to make and new gigs. I got hired at WonderCon. 1987, Mark Grunewald, hand across the, you know, uh, now I give it like a bionic. 
Mark Greenwald, boom, put that hand across the table, hired me into comics, and my life has uh, has been great ever since. But uh, comic conventions, I'm sure you guys have umpteen stories. I've only scratched the surface. We'll have to do a follow-up uh, with comic conventions and, and, and delve more into what the modern day convention is because the modern day convention isn't anywhere like the conventions that I met Robert at in the middle of the 2000s. We way advanced. And I, and, and the year that everything changed in Hollywood was the summer of 2002 when uh, Angelina Jolie and Arnold Schwarzenegger did Hall H. And that's because I'm like, wait, all my agents and managers that I've worked with and, you know, my, my, my manager who I was managing me at the time for the last couple of years, I'm like, he doesn't come anywhere near Comic-Con. They're all down there because the big A-list stars are coming to Comic-Con to promote their movies. And uh, it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. And uh, I think I think, uh, I think think Arnold was there to promote, promote the, 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 the Terminator movie with the female Terminator. And one of the Tomb Raiders, maybe the sequel to Tomb Raider, was why Angelina Jolie was there. And it was exciting. It was really exciting. And there was a buzz. And that was the beginning of a path that, that no one would look back on. That, that Comic-Con was forever changed. Hall H became the place. Uh, it was just, just the early days, but it, but that's when the buzz changed. Hollywood people were there. Um, makeup artists, publicists, agents, managers. It suddenly was like, hey, what's this comic con convention where these hundreds of thousands of people, you know, uh, uh, you know congregate and, and, and we can sell directly to them. And boy, have they. And I'm going to tell you, it's the one area that San Diego still has on everybody is to, to send an entire cast to San Diego. Maybe they're shooting in L.A. Uh, commonly, the studios will buy up two or three cars on the train and they'll just put them on the train. Maybe not even put them up overnight. Send them down, day of, Hall H, ship them back. I'm going to tell you right now, Fox flew the people for the Deadpool 2015 trailer reveal, they flew them in that afternoon and flew them back that night. One, a couple of my friends in, in in the film were angry that they weren't getting put up overnight. But that's, man, these, these studios, they are looking to cut corners and not to maximize their costs. They've already invested enough in the movie. So it's like, nope, you are leaving LA at this time on this train, on this plane, and you are coming back that evening. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that, that's, just, that's just the way it goes. I mean, they're calling the shots. You sign that contract, you're going to promote when they say to promote. And look, for Deadpool, it turned out to be, I think, even more excruciating for the people that had to go back because they wanted a party because the results were enormous, right? So, I mean, that that's firsthand experience. But um, to then take that same cast across to New York City, those costs become even more so. Uh, a cast uh, of, of actors, of talent to put up uh, in hotels and, and buy them first class uh, travel. And that, that, that's, that's one of the ways that San Diego continues to hold firm because most of the big productions and stars are already living and existing, especially the television stuff in Los Angeles. If it's Vancouver, it's still West Coast, okay? Vancouver down to San Diego is still not Vancouver to New York City. That's the one place that it's going to be interesting. San Diego continues to hold big, 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 big giant star reveals are all in San Diego. Or now, you know, Disney's pushed them to their own uh, venue in Anaheim when they do the D23. So you're still looking at a Southern California dominance. But make no doubt about it. New York New York Comic Con, those guys, we're, we're number one, Liefeld. We're number one. Hey, hey, admit it. Admit it. We're tops. We're tops. You're tops. 
No disputing. New York is a hell of a show. I missed it this year. I missed San Diego. I missed Emerald City. I missed all of them. And I was taking the year off. But I was looking forward to hitting them up as fans. And uh, so that is the history of the Comic-Con from my humble fan perspective and some great friends that I've made along the way. Met Robert Kirkman. Became one of my best friends of all space and time because uh, I already loved Invincible. I knew who he was. He had grown up. He told me as, as, a, as a kid, his mom drove him to get the Image Comics. I mean, it's so awesome that Robert is the, you know, partner and the Uber publisher. I got to be honest, we'll do, a, we'll do an episode soon enough where Image Comics falls, if not for Robert Kirkman in the mid-2000s. He single-handedly carries them on his broad, broad shoulders and, and keeps them alive to the point that they're at now. But that's a different episode. You guys... We're going to get conventions back. I believe it. And if you did go to one of those secret shows, one of those secret password knock-knock shows, come on, let me know about it. Who, who's, whoever's been to a secret uh, show, you know, your secret's safe with me. Th- that's not true. I'll talk about it here on the podcast. Hey, guys, I'm on social media at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. Blue checks. It's really me. I say that because there are phonies out there. Don't give them money. Okay? Don't, don't. Don't give them money, okay? Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on social media. Love talking to you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks for spending this time with me. Spread the word. If you like the show, grab a friend. Ask them to listen. Um, more the merrier. And and thank you, uh, those who have been here from the beginning. Thank you so much. I appreciate all the kind words, all the enthusiasm. Guys, you know the drill. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to stay safe, please. And we will talk again real soon. 